Morning. Um, Andrew, um, Doug and I were a little worried this morning until we heard you because we didn't, didn't think you had any talent with anything else, but evidently you got a little bit of this. I, man, omnicompetent, this guy. He doesn't know how to respond to anything. When he, at his ordination, he was sitting right there, and I'm preaching right to him. He's like... Um, Pastor, uh, not Pastor, but uh, Kurt Dykema, uh, he had the weekend off, and I just want to tell you where he is or what he's doing. He, he, his wife and, his, and him and his brother and his sister-in-law decided to do this thing called Pack and Go. Have you heard of this? You, you, okay, you get online and you tell this organization what your interests are, you know, Kurt's all music and arts and that kind of thing, and, and then you tell them what your budget is, and then they put together a weekend for you that you find out about the day before you leave. So we're sitting with a staff elder spouse gathering um, uh, on Thursday, and Kurt, I'm sitting down next to Kurt, and he goes, hey, uh, I'm going to Austin, Texas tomorrow. I said, why? Uh, he goes, well, we did this thing called Pack and Go, and he did the whole little, told me a whole thing, and he goes, he goes, I looked at the weather, 106, 106, the whole time we're there. So I, want, I asked him to send me a picture of him just sweating out a shirt. Um, anyway, so he... I told him not to tell my wife about this pack-and-go thing, because that sounds scary. <laughs> um, I, anyway, so uh, we're in the book of 1 Thessalonians. So really what that, we, we call them books, but it's really the Apostle Paul. Paul was a, was a, a Christian hater and killer. Um, it's what he did for a living before he was converted. And then he met Jesus one day, and uh, Jesus just asked him a question, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you? And he told him, and then Paul was, Paul was converted, and then he spent, some estimate eight, as many as 13, as many as 17 years, uh, not doing much of anything except growing up in Christ. And then he, he took off, and he went around the known world three times, telling people about Jesus and converting people to Christianity, the very people he used to hate and kill. So it's a phenomenal turnaround. Now, we call them books, the books of the Bible. There's one book, and there's lots of books, but in this, uh, this is a letter Paul and Silas and Timothy, and I'm not going to give you the whole background again. I'm just, just enough to catch you up and to let you read at least one segment of this passage today with some greater understanding. He, uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy, Silas and Timothy were kind of his spiritual offspring, some of his close traveling companions, but Paul was mentoring them so that they could go and do what what he does. So there's this passage in 2 Timothy where Paul says, Timothy, take these things you've learned from me and trust them to reliable people who will in turn be able to teach others. So Paul to Timothy, Timothy to reliable people, reliable people to others. It's multiplication. Um, but they, they had, they, when they were traveling around the known world, second time around, uh, they planted a church in Philippi and they got, they got rustled out of there. So they went straight to, to Thessalonica. Thessalonica is a port city. It's, it, you know, the Roman road, there's one major connection of a couple of Roman roads there. It is a cosmopolitan city, much like San Francisco, LA, New York city, not as big because back then metropolitan areas weren't that big. It was about 200,000 people, but people were coming and going all the time. And there were all, anything was permissible. Anything you could do, any religion, a plethora of gods, one God, uh, people worshiped philosophy, people worshiped the emperor, people were, but what you do with your body with other people. There's children in the room, so I'll keep it there. Intimacy, physical intimacy between two persons, everything was okay. 
There was nowhere, nothing that if you wanted to um, sow your oats, there was, you could do that in Thessalonica. So Paul, when he, he went to Thessalonica, he and Timothy and Silas decided when they got there that they're going to not go to the religious people and say, hey, I'm an apostle. These are my buddies. Uh, will you take care of us while we're here? We'll bring you good news. They decided not to do that. And instead, Paul and Silas and Timothy went into the marketplace. And then I just want you to ask you to look back in, into, in your mind to an old movie, whether it's uh, uh, Ben-Hur or, by the way, the first Ben-Hur, really good. Second one, not good. Um, they didn't do a good job on it. Uh, or some of the Jesus movies that you've seen. But you know the marketplace. You know, they're not huge buildings like we have. It not, doesn't say there's not a Starbucks on every corner. It's just there's chickens and skin goats hanging up. And, and there's a blacksmith over here. And there's a silversmith over there. And there's, there's, there's people selling these wares. And there's wicker baskets over here. Just a place where people could go to buy. Paul, Silas, and Timothy decided to work there and to make a living for themselves while they were with them. It turned out they were only with them from three and a half weeks to a couple of months. Uh, I, based on what his worry for the church in Thessalonica, I'm thinking it was closer to the less than a month than a couple of months. But nevertheless, um, and while they were there, they weren't just um, making tents, which Paul was a tent maker. They weren't just working with canvas. They were interacting with people. They had to buy fabric because they didn't travel with it, and they had to buy thread and needles. So they were going to each of these different merchants, and they were getting to know them. They were finding out how the culture works. They were finding out who they were, and they were finding out from them what the underlying need is in the community. And then they produced good, solid product. And so people, they were respectable, and they showed respect to others. Now, the way we talked about this a couple of weeks ago is that they decided to love them before... They shared anything with them. We, you'd grown so dear, we loved you so much that we shared with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy, when they were there, they, they lived, they worked with their hands. Now, there's a passage that we're going to read today, right at the end, that it sounds like Paul is saying to people, if you don't work with your hands, you're lazy. It's not what he's saying. It's just that people back then did most, mo unless you're a city official or a priest or priestess somewhere, most of the labor, most of the jobs, most of the way to earn income were either ranching, herding, silversmithing, blacksmithing, uh, butchering, those kind of things. So uh, he's saying to be a part of the world in which you live and to be respectable in it. Now, I joke about my brother Troy. I don't think I've heard you, I don't think I've said it here, but my joke with my brother Troy is he sells nothing and he makes a really good living at it. He sells virtual machines. You know what those are? Some of us do, some of us don't. Um, it's basically a computer that's in the cloud and um, with your, any device that you want, you get on, you sign on and you have the same desktop, you have the same approach anywhere. So he sells ones and zeros. It's not even a real machine and he makes a phenomenal living at it. Now, is he not working with his hands? Well, he's handshaking and he's having lunch with people and he's showing how he can meet the need of a particular organization by selling them this product. So Paul's not saying that that is illegitimate although I kind of joke with my brother like it is. Um, you sell ones and zeros. So th that's just a, a little heads up on where we're headed. And the other piece I want you to know about it before we read this passage is that this is going to feel a little, it can feel a little pokey. Um, that's not what Paul is doing. 
because there's two ways, two rhetorical techniques in writing uh, a letter to people uh, that Paul in, uses. One is he will say, you know, the works of the flesh are this, 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 and those who work like, live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul, you know, Paul's got a finger pointing. That's a declarative, and he's trying to, conv- it's a declarative statement. He's trying to convince them. And then there's this encouraging piece, and he'll, he'll, he'll tell them some things that aren't really easy to hear, but he'll say things like, I don't need to tell you this, and he tells them anyway. And he says, but do it even more. Do it even more. He's really proud of the job they've been doing. He's really proud of how they're living. He's really proud of how they're behaving. He's really proud of how they're supporting others. And he's saying, keep it up, but do it more. Keep it up, but do it more. So this is actually encouraging, but there's some things in here that we got to get our head around in order to see what God might be calling us to do. It even goes so far as to say in here, it is God's will that. And we get a little, it's kind of hard if you're a high school student if you're going into your senior year, next year, you're, if you decide you're going to college, where do you go? What's God's will for me? Where, do, where does he want me to go? Am I going to not go to college and go into a trade or a different kind of service industry or a different kind of career? It's hard to know specifically what God's will is. But when the scripture says this is God's will, we should listen to it because it's one of those times when God makes something abundantly clear. It reads like this. First Thessalonians chapter 4, first 12 verses. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus, in the Lord Jesus, to do this more and more. For you know that in you you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Now here's the it is God's will. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. That each of you should learn to control his own body. Excuse me, I just skipped something. That you be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins. And we'll get back to this in a second. And as we have already told you and warned you, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God who gave you, who who gives you the Holy Spirit. Now about brotherly love, that word is just Philadelphia. That's where we we hear Philadelphia, Pennsylvania is the, the, the city of brotherly love. Now about brotherly love. We do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout all of Macedonia, yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. Now, here's the part about working with your hands and that kind of... Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. We'll start at the back end of that, and then we'll finish up with the, this sanctification and this holiness piece. There's a, there's a quote, Dwight, anyone ever hear of D.L. or Dwight L. Moody? A great evangelist of the last century, just a phenomenal, a passionate, um, red-in-the-face kind of guy a lot of the time, just a phenomenal man. But he says... A holy life will make the deepest impression. Lighthouses blow no horns. They just shine. That 
mind your own business, live a quiet life, make sure that you don't become dependent on anybody else. What he's saying is not, is not just work hard, and that's a good thing to work hard. The Dutch were, the, I say we, I'm not really, maybe adopted a little bit, I don't know. Uh, my, my, my last name's going to be spelled W-A-A-K-K-E-R. Um, uh, but the Dutch work ethic, the Western Michigan work ethic, there's something to that that, you know, there's some value in not finding our identity in work, but if someone's going to pay you to do a job you, while you're there, they get the best you, you have for the time they're paying you. I mean, there's just something about that. He's saying, look, folks, people are watching you, and they're going to they're try to find every flaw that, that they find in you and, and among you. And we do not want the church to look like a group of people who decide to, um, well, Jesus is coming back soon, so it doesn't matter what I do. I was in Chicago uh, in 1988. I uh, went to this, this college and career Bible study that took place in the summers. His name was Doc, his name was Doc Green. I have no idea where he taught or anything, but, but there was the, one of those times um, when some prophet said that the end of the world is coming on July 22, 1988 or something like that. And I remember being in this Bible study and these, these young adults are like, well, hey, if, if, you know, if Jesus is coming back, I'm not going to make my car payment. And I'm just cynical enough to immediately say out loud, I've learned to kind of stop that now. But I'm like, why? I mean, what are you going to, okay, you're going to save $300 and then not take it with you? I mean, you don't get to take that with you, so I'm not going to make my car payment. I'm going to just wait and see. Well, uh, or you, then you harm your credit if he doesn't come. If the guy's wrong, you harm your credit. If he's, if he's right, you're kind of saying you don't really believe that you don't get to take your stuff with you. I mean, sometimes we get so caught up in Jesus coming back or, or the heavenly stuff that we forget that God's call to us is to live where we are and to live in such a way that other people look at the church and they think, man, I know God because I see his people. So Paul is trying to say, earn the right to be heard. Work well, work hard. Shine, shine, shine. And he's saying, don't, we don't want to see them. Um, we don't want them looking at you and, and you feel like you're the victim all the time. Great choice of song, by the way. Um, you're the victim all the time. And so that if you become a Christian, you can do whatever you want. And everyone else says to pay your bills. That, he says, don't do that. And he says, when you are doing your job, do it in such a way that other people are proud to interact with you. Paul is saying, do what I did. Get to know the people. Treat them well. Don't get your nose in all their business. Don't run around barking at them all the time. Lighthouses don't blow horns. They just shine, so shine. And that comes at the end of Paul really encouraging them in what it means to be sanctified, which is, which is the process Jesus uses to produce in us holiness. It is God's will that you be sanctified and that you avoid sexual immorality, that you, 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 know, you don't treat, you, you don't give in to your, all your body's urges and desires. So he says, mind your body. But this sanctification, I've defined this for you before. I'm going to take uh, several times. I'm going to take the opportunity to tell you where I got the quote. Sanctification, Jesus loves you just the way you are. Anyone, just like you are. But he refuses to leave you that way. The process by which he refuses to leave you that way it's called sanctification. Big biblical word, but that's what, it, that's what it means. He loves you just like you are. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've thought, no matter how you've betrayed someone, no matter how, how, what you've engaged in, it does not matter. Just like you are, Jesus loves you. And if you give yourself to him, he's not going to leave you the way you are. He wants to produce in you 
his character, his desire, his morality, his stewardship, his life in you. We have a choice. And Paul's encouraging them. He said, you guys are doing great in this. You're being holy. Be more holy. You're being generous. Be more generous. You're loving others. Love, love others more. Love even more people. He's, he just, he, he's saying yes, 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 and keep going. It is God's will that you be sanctified. Does, does your life look like you're cooperating with God in the process that he uses to no longer leave you the way you were? I've been a Christian since August 5th, 1981. One of our elders, Kyle Borst, that's his actual birthday. So he was born on the day that I was born again. So that's a long time ago. And the scripture says that when someone is in Christ, he's a whole new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. I had to think, I had to do my finger. There's something that changes when you become a Christian, some of us have been believers our whole lives. And that's the, that's the testimony I wanted for my kids. I wanted them to grow up and never know a time when they didn't love God and know God. And there was never a time that they, that they weren't loved by God or known by God. Walking, talking, knowing, loving relationship with the God and the creator of the universe. That's awesome. But if when God wrote your name in that, in that book of life... You know, I don't think it works this way. I don't think this is how Jesus is going to say it. But, but when I, on August 5th, 1981, when I said, I confess my sin and I asked the Lord to forgive me. And I said, I'm yours, you're mine, you know. And, and he, he wrote my book or he wrote my name in his book. And I don't think it works this way. But if today, if I were to die today and I face judgment and I go up and Jesus, and again, I don't think he's going to do this. But why should I let you in? Like, I got a reservation. My name's in the book. Done. My eternal address is secure. Now, but if my life, that was 1981, I was 15 years old. If, if my life did not change one iota from that day till now, then I have not participated and cooperated with God in the process that he chooses to use to no longer leave me the way I was. He loved me just like I was, but he wants even more for me. And sometimes we look at that and we go, there's a cost involved. It's too hard because there's some things I really like to do. And so Christians tell everyone else, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that. You better not ever do that. And boy, you better, if you, if you, if you ever do that. And so we come off like we're barking, like we're blowing a bunch of horns and we're saying to them, you need to live up to the standard that God has set for you, even though I'm not going to live up to the standard that God has set for me. There's some things that we don't want to stop, and there's some, and, and honestly, sometimes there's some things that you go, man, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm really going to follow the Lord, if I'm really going to be sanctified, if I'm, if I'm going to allow him to, to, to continue in this process and not rebel against it, there's just some things I don't want, I, I got to give up, and I don't want to give up. And then you have a good Christian brother or sister come along, they put your hair around, and you go, you know what, though? If you got to give this up, if this is something you desire, God will replace it with something even better. And you go, I don't know, I kind of like this. It's pretty, you know, it's kind of my thing. Scripture backs that Christian brother or sister up. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And grammatically, we don't know how that works. Uh, in the Hebrew, it's kind of ambiguous. It's, if I delight myself in the Lord, will he give me new desires? Will he give me the desires of my heart? Will he take his desires and put them on me? 
Or if I delight myself in the Lord, will he grant me whatever I desire? Give me, you know, he will give to you what you desire. I think it's both. Because if I'm delighting in the Lord, then I'm delighting in the things of God. And so that I want the things that are more like the things that God wants. So the beauty of it is that, yes, indeed, there may be a cost. If I have to give something up, Paul's talking about how we treat our bodies, how we interact with other people, with our physical bodies, and how we, how we it's got to be about holiness and not about, um, not about lust or passion. There might be a loss, and there will likely be a time in that process when you give something up as an offering to the Lord, and he allows you to feel the loss, but it will only be for a time. He will replace it. And you'll be glad you set it aside. But it doesn't feel like it when you're experiencing the loss. Anyone here ever fasted? Okay, were you glad when you had finished it? That you could, but when, in the middle of it, weren't you kind of going, man, pizza sounds really good. Really good. There are times that you just feel the loss, but there's something beautiful that comes at the, other, at the other end. Paul is saying to all of us, it is God's will that you be sanctified. He loves you just the way you are. Anyone sitting here, anyone online, he loves you just the way you are. He just doesn't want to leave you that way. And then he starts to talk about this idea of God is holy and we should be holy. And holiness is a strange concept. Now, in just the everyday vernacular, holiness is simply this. To be holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, set apart. God is holy, but God isn't just holy. God is holiness. God is good, but God isn't just a good God. Goodness is defined by God. God isn't just, it's not just that God can be anywhere. God is everywhere. So God isn't just merciful, God is mercy. God isn't just graceful, God is grace. God isn't just righteous, God is righteousness. So everything that we know about God, and he's asking us to participate with him to make us less like who we were and more like who he wants us to be. But we run into this thing in our culture, and the beauty of the church, the letter to the Thessalonian church, is that their culture was so similar to ours. And I know it's hard to, to think that people that 2,000 years ago, that they had any clue what our lives were like. We're more connected. We have TV and we have internet. We have those kind of things. But folks, the things they did and the things they celebrated are being done and celebrated by us today. There is no difference. The job of a preacher is often to, to, to find out what the scripture meant to them and to translate it to us. There's very little need for translation here because the church in Thessalonica, what they saw is very similar to what we see. And Paul was telling them, you're, you're becoming holy, be more holy. You're good, be gooder. You're loving people, love them more. But here's the thing, why? They're in a culture that everyone says anything goes. Why do we have to be different? Well, think about it just for a minute. Let's figure out who defines what holiness is. Let's just say it's not God. I'm going to go all the way, and you can follow the logic. It's going to be hard. But if there is no God, then murder is okay. 
If you follow it all the, way, all the way down, that I'm not accountable to anybody but myself, and I only do what makes me feel good, and what's right for me is right for me, and what's right for you is right for you, but you can't impose your morality on me, I can't impose my morality on you. You, you cannot make the case that murder is bad. You can, because as a culture, we agree that something, rape, murder, you shouldn't drive down the street and see some random person walking across the street and gun it so you can hit him and try to kill him. If you're evil, but there is no evil, right? I mean, that's where our culture's gone. So if culture defines what it means, what morality is, what truth is, what, what holiness is, then, we, then, then everything is hopeless. If the church decides or defines what holiness is, then you can pick a church that, that speaks to the things and says, these things that you like to do are okay, and another church might say that you're going to hell if you do those things. So if it's the church that defines holiness, then it's just you're just shopping for the church that agrees with you. But if God defines holiness then there are some absolutes and there are some things that God desires that will be better for us and the culture as a whole that without them, we just are in decline. And I'm not talking about America. I'm talking about Western culture. And by the way, if it's culture that defines holiness and righteousness and morality, is it the Western, culture, Western civilization? Is it Chinese civilization? Is it Russian civilization? Is it communist, Marxist? Is it Islamic? Is it Eastern? Is it the, the, the Moravians or the, the Inuits? Which culture is it? If God is the definer of holiness, if God is the definer of truth, then we can believe and trust that the scriptures mean what they meant and that God's not kidding around. But sometimes we feel like he's trying to deny us something. I know that when I was a teenager and my mom told me, here's some things that you don't do, first thing I wanted to do was do those things. Because she's old, she doesn't know, she can't, she doesn't know what fun is. If you're watching, Peaches, sorry. Something denied is often more greatly desired. But Paul says those desires cooperate with God and setting them aside so that you become more like God. And when he's talking about sexual immorality, when he's talking about um, how you treat one another, when he's talking about not giving in to the, your own passions and lusts like the heathen do, he's saying, look, folks, God has set up some boundaries not to deny you pleasure, but to protect you from pain, unnecessary pain. And we have the opportunity as followers of Christ, and you have the opportunity, if you don't yet know him, to know that God loves you just the way you are. And he wants, he wants to make you someone new. So we can cooperate with him in that process by which he doesn't leave us that way, or we can rebel against him. And folks, I'm just going to tell you a few things. Rebelling against him is the most, it's more miserable to be a Christian who's rebelling against the process of sanctification than it is to be a non-Christian with no hope. Because you know that God wants something better for you, from you, and through you. And you choose to say no. 
C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, how little people know who think that holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, it is irresistible. That is what Paul is saying. He's saying, you're doing a great job. Do a better job. There are business owners in the room. You get a lot of grief in our culture because you make more money than everybody else. But I want to thank you because you provide livelihoods for dozens, hundreds, or thousands of families. You've sent more kids to college. You've, sent, you've paid for more medical procedures on people. You have shown up day after day. You took all the risk, and other people get to benefit from it. Thank you for being a faithful follower of Christ who's in the business world. If you're someone who works for a business owner, thank you because your ethic says that Jesus is Lord and you're willing to do whatever it takes to make sure not only that this other person prospers, you don't just work hard to make someone else rich, you're, you're working hard to help them provide livelihoods for other people and you're receiving a livelihood from that person in exchange for your labor. If you're in the service industry or if you're a teacher, thank you because you've chosen to say not my desires right now, but someone else's. And I know how tough it is. I'm a pastor. I hear awful things. I know how hard it is, how people are unappreciative, how they say the most God-awful things. Serve them anyway. Love them anyway. You do a great job. Do more good. Why? Because Jesus loves you just the way you are, and he loves the person you're serving, the person you're working for, or the person that works for you just like they are. And he does not want to leave them that way, and he's going to decide to use somehow, some way, you in that situation to help them become more holy. And folks, there will be pain. There will be trouble. In this world, there will be trouble, says Jesus, but take heart because I've overcome the world. And I can't always tell you why things happen, but I can almost guarantee you that that stepping outside of the boundaries is what made it happen. Outside of the bounds that God has set up there. And there's only 10 rules, 10 commandments. It's not, there's more rules than Yahtzee. There's 10 rules. And he uses that structure to make us more holy, to sanctify us. And most of, if the most painful thing in your life is probably a result of either you stepping outside of those bounds and living your way, or more likely, someone else in respect or in relationship to you Deciding to step outside of the bounds and treat you as if your needs were less than theirs. Betrayal, harm, whatever it may be. And I don't know why God allows what he could prevent. But I can promise you this because scripture promises us this. In this world, there would be trouble, but you take heart because I've overcome the world. God will not waste your pain. He will not, every time you hurt, every way you suffer, he is not going to look at that and say, it's for naught. It's in vain. But folks, pain outside of the boundaries and pain outside of following Christ, the one who defines holiness, the one who defines morality, the one who defines truth, the one who defines justice, the one who defines it all. Any pain, any betrayal outside of that is just wasted. It's in vain. It's for nothing. It's just pain for pain's sake. And that's what the enemy of God wants you to believe, that when you have pain, when you have suffering, when it's hard, when it hurts, it's God's fault. And sometimes stuff happens, but God will not waste it. He will redeem it. And folks, there are some things in my life that need to change. You might think of them as little, but to me, when God reveals something to me, I'm like, oh, I don't want to do that. And I don't want to praise my own stuff here, but one of them is I knew I had to stand up here and say, don't give into the lust lust of your body. And I was going to stand up here at 248 pounds. I'm, I'm addicted to food. And God hit me. 
Not in a bad way, but he said, Trent, that's my temple. What are you going to do about it? So for the last 71 days, I've decided I'm not going to be a glutton. Why? Because God wants better for me than I want for me. And it's painful. <laughs> and it's a starvation. Obviously not. Now, I'm only saying that so that you know that when I hear this kind of thing, I, when God convicts me of something, I try to cooperate with what he wants for me instead of demanding that he do it without any cost to me. I'm going to leave you with this quote, a couple little sentences after this. I believe more and more, and I hope that I can live my life this way, that the purpose, I'm going to use the word man because that's what I am, that the purpose of a man is to live, to serve, to die, and be forgotten. How freeing. So countercultural, though. Everyone wants their YouTube channel to get, they want something to go viral. They want to get, they want their, their videos monetized. They want to be famous. They want to be an athlete. And all that's great. I have nothing against, nothing against someone making a living for what they do. But if we're honest with ourselves, what is God's call? That they will see your good works and then praise your Father in heaven. Be holy as the Lord is holy. And do good works so that when they see them, they will praise your Father in heaven. Do I want to be remembered? Maybe. But if my life is in service to Christ and I get done and no one knows who I was, but somehow, some way, people are praising God, you think the Lord's going to be pleased with that? Let your light shine before all men so that when they see your good works, they praise your Father in heaven. If you define holiness, anything goes. If God defines holiness, we get to cooperate with him as he makes us more holy. And even our pain can work to that end. He will not waste it. Jesus loves you just the way you are. And he refuses to leave you that way. Cooperate with him as he tries to no longer leave you the way you were. The old is gone. The new has come. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you. Thanks for Paul and Silas and Timothy and their example. Thanks for these wise words and these pokey things. Lord, remind us that you want what's best for us, but you also want to do greater things through us. Give us the courage to cooperate with you as you try to not leave us the way we are. Lord, honestly, sometimes we want you to love us the way we are and then just to celebrate that but we know there's some things that need to change. And so we choose to trust you in that change instead of trust our own will. We pray these things in Jesus' name through the power of your Holy Spirit for the glory of God our Father. Amen. Look, if you don't want to cooperate with God, just tell him. I mean, he loves you just the way you are, right? So just, if you don't want to, just tell him. And if you want to want to, to want to want to want to, just tell him.
Here's the beauty of, of, of Jesus. And I'm going I'm to blow your doors off here. He's not afraid of you. He's not afraid of your sin. He's not afraid of your, your mess. He's not afraid of your will. He's not afraid of your desire to resist him. He, he could break me like a chicken bone, but he's patient with me. He just loves you. And so if you don't want to be embraced by that, tell him because he already knows it. It doesn't change God, it changes you. So if you confess to God, God, I really, I don't want, I don't want, to, I don't want to be holy. But if you want me to be holy, I'm going to choose for a moment to say, not my will, but yours be done. And see what God will do. There may be a cost, but the reward will be greater than whatever you lost. That's what scripture says. And the holy God who cannot lie, that's his promise. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you. Be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance for you. Let's look on God's face. God smile at you and give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen. Go with and in the peace of Christ.